Welcome to the Please Don't Call It Reese's Pieces podcast, a songwriting journal tracing the origins and intentions of my creations. It's a podcast for fellow creatives and fans of my music, as well as the casual but curious listener wanting a peek behind the creative curtain. Remember to check out the Spotify playlist I created for you to listen to. It includes all the music that I reference here and then some. You'll find a bunch of music that continues to inspire me and hopefully will inspire you as well. If you like what you're hearing, but haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please click on the subscribe button. Also, be sure to follow the band and me on social media and head over to the contact page on my website so that we can put you on our gig alert list. And the next time the band and I are playing near you, you'll be the first to hear about it. That website is www.reeseshadmusic.com. And remember, I spell my name R-E-E-S. There is no E on the end. All right. We've taken care of the business, now let's roll some tape. So this episode focuses on a song I wrote back in 2000 called Isn't It the Journey? But the episode brings an opportunity for me to discuss sources of inspiration with you. I mean, I, I meet so many creatives who struggle with figuring out what they actually want their subject matter to be about. Songwriters who don't write consistently and usually only get the muse when they're either suffering through some kind of trauma or heartbreak... The most interesting writers that I know work to consistently create without too much judgment in the creative process. They'll tell you to edit the hell out of it when the initial iteration is complete, but don't second-guess yourself out of creating altogether. We can tank our creative process before it even has gotten going if we're not attentive to our own self-doubt. The other thing they'll tell you is that there isn't much we can do with inspiration if we aren't ready to catch the ball and run with it. So... My comment about interesting writers consistently writing is really an important point. I literally write every day something, prose, essays, songs, letters. I keep the writer in me flexible so that when inspiration does come, I'm primed and ready. This, of course, means that a lot of what I create is drivel. That's okay. I'll file that away or burn it years from now or review it later on, and maybe even find a line or two that will send me on a different tangent and help me create a whole nother project or a whole nother song. The point is to keep the ink flowing so that when inspiration does blossom, you're ready for it. But where do you find inspiration? One of the things that I learned as an educator of design had to do with creating projects for assignments in my courses. These courses were in a wide range of media, graphic design, music production, animation, game design, user interaction, creative writing. The best student work always came from well-crafted assignments. Assignments that explored a new area of thought, but assigned with specific constraints that the students had to work to adapt to, or in some cases work around. But the point here is that specificity provided a limited area in which to work and in many cases produced more specific focus. So if I ask you to write a song in the next hour, uh, you have to either have an idea to work from or some flash of insight to get something completed. That doesn't necessarily give you anything to run with. It's not really all that inspiring of an assignment. But if I ask you to spend the next hour writing a song about a childhood memory of growing apart from a best friend, the specificity of the assignment its very restraints provide for more opportunities for inspiration and better outcomes. Okay, so specificity, Reese. Uh, how does that help me? Well, I have books on Dadaist prompts. 
I have creativity card decks. I have a book where I catalog interesting song titles or lines that I dream up while driving around. I have a dream journal in which I record dreams I awaken from in the night or song lyrics that I hear in those dreams. And there's a lot of music in my dreams these days, especially as I've returned to full-time music making. But I keep all of these with me. And I have my phone at the ready to record thoughts and melodies while I'm driving around. So any given morning after my second cup of coffee, I retire to my office slash studio and page through some sound files and journal notes until something strikes my fancy. And let that be the assignment of the day. I have to do something around that phrase, that sentence. I have to retell that story from that dream or that experience. Whatever it might be, I make that my constraint. There are other times when I just wake up with an idea and get right to writing. The point is, if you've got a flexibility for writing that comes from consistently practicing the craft and you're prepared to catch the flitting ideas that slip into view, well, like that hallway conversation I told you about in episode four, well, then you'll be able to hit the ground running. Now, I'm going to return to that idea in a moment, but let me tell you right now about how this song, Isn't It the Journey, came to be. One night in the midst of a nightmare where I was standing out on a sandbar lamenting the loss of my wife. Now, she wasn't actually dead. Remember, this was a nightmare. Anyway, I'm watching the tide roll in and feeling really, really lonely when suddenly I hear her voice speaking calmly and carefully about turning my attention to the experiences that we were actually having together rather than obsessing about what might not even come to pass for an awful long time. That's my wife all over. Ever the reasonable voice in a situation, she'll set you straight even in your dreams. Right before I woke up, her voice advised me to focus on the journey, honey. It's an obvious but important point of view that all of us frequently forget to observe. I woke up from the dream and scribbled the lyric, the journey makes it all worthwhile, into my dream journal that I keep with a pen in my bedside table. I, I then documented the dream as closely as I could remember as it quickly faded from memory. Now, I have kept a dream journal for 30 years. It's been an important receptacle of those instances in which I'm in a half-awake state with a wisp of an image or an idea in my head. Sometimes I just roll over and fall back to sleep, but more often than not, I make the effort to get the idea onto paper before it's gone or detail a particular dreamscape before I forget it. Inevitably, when seeking around for inspiration for a project or a song, I'll open the journal up and find a crumb of my idea that will head me in the right direction. Whenever I speak to young songwriters about our craft, I ask if they keep such a journal. It has been a consistent contributor to my practice over the years and part of how I've been able to be so prolific. Rick Rubin's The Creative Act, A Way of Being, is a wonderful book that I recommend to creatives all the time lately. I mentioned it in episode four. If you haven't read it, you should. Even if you don't see yourself as a creative, a tenet of his practice, and mine, is to remain open to the suggestion of an idea. It's also an important design rule. When brainstorming, there are no stupid or unacceptable ideas. Everything goes up on the whiteboard for consideration, no matter how outlandish. I like to think of it as keeping the creative field plowed in order to more readily catch any random seed that might land there and nurture that seed's growth. Of course, you get a lot of weeds. 
but some of them are useful and others might be exactly what you need to be nurturing. Keeping something like a dream journal does this. It keeps the field plowed and the earth receptive to starting new growth. So when the universe gives you a concept, you have a place to keep it and nurture it for later. So the morning after I had the dream of my wife's admonishing me to focus on the journey we were taking together and not obsess about some unfounded fear of losing her, I sat down with my guitar on the front porch of our home in the Catskills and started strumming out a few chords that I felt wanted to move in together. Before you know it, I'm having my second cup of coffee and humming a melody over those changes. This is often the process. The fingers start improvising changes, I start humming a tune and then blurt out whatever is on my mind is a lyric test. Often a line comes to me and I'm off to the races. But that morning, I liked the melody but wasn't finding my, any lyrical idea I could sink my teeth into. So I went and got the dream journal and opened it to the last entry. I began singing a stepped version of the penned line, The Journey. The Journey Makes. The Journey Makes It All. The Journey Makes It All Worthwhile. It felt like the inkling of something, and as I repeated the lines over and over, I got to imagining a story of a road trip. Now I love a road trip, and I love to listen to music in the car while on a road trip. My car is often brimming with new CDs of all sorts of music. Yes, I still purchase and listen to physical media. My wife Pamela, however, prefers to drive without music going. The small spaces make her feel inundated with sound. And when we're on a road trip, she'll often ask if we can travel without music for a little bit. So the idea of her asking for a media-free vacation at the beginning of a journey got into my head. Now, Pamela would want me to stress here that this has never actually happened. She's never really asked for this. But anyway, I imagined a trip south on U.S. Route 1, which is numbered south to north. But in my ignorance, I imagine mile 25 being in Maine, where a couple begin a, a road trip south, a road trip on which they reconnect after a very difficult year. So my apologies to all the road tripping fans out there for getting the numbers backwards, uh, but that's where it comes from. For me, the mystery needed to be just what that year actually might involve. I wanted to leave the listener hanging as long as possible. So the first verse was where I actually started the tale, unlike so many of my songs where I begin by writing lines that often end up being placed later in the song, if kept at all. First verse came out whole and deliberate. Mile 25 of Highway 1, she turned off the radio station. She smiled and took my hand, said, let's have a media-free vacation. I asked where we were heading now after the year that we'd been through. She squeezed my hand and said, I don't care as long as I'm traveling with you. This then led me to letting the woman in the story say the hook outright. Isn't it the journey? Isn't it the journey that? Isn't it the journey that makes it all worthwhile? So I'm scribbling this away and I scribbled a little rough map along the margins of the pad of paper I was writing these lyrics on. I was working to visualize where their journey might take them and what side trips they might take. Well, I'm a big fan of the Outer Banks. My birth mother, Susan, lives out there these days. So I imagine the couple going out to Cape Hatteras and then from there down to Savannah, Georgia and ending up in the Florida Keys. Hatteras seemed like a good place to have a, the second verse go. Something playful could happen there, but 
needed to also have a moment of tension introduced. So I settled on a little pirate game and a sudden impromptu admission. 800 miles down the coast of somewhere, she sang me a song and I almost wept. Something about turning round and growing up, moving on without taking a step. By a lighthouse on the outer banks, she found a perfect mussel shell, held it to her eye and played Captain Hook, and then she told me that she'd miss me. That song about turning around and growing up, I remember as a kid, uh, my adopted mom, Pat, used to sing this song about turning around and your child suddenly being so much more uh, grown up and more mature and just lamenting the, the time flying by. So that's what those two lines are, something about turning around and growing up, moving on without taking a step. Looking back at it all now, I realize this was a period in my life when I was listening to a lot of Ellis Paul, and especially his Translucent Soul album, which has the magnificent song, Angel in Manhattan. There's a moment in that song that almost always makes me tear up. A fallen angel, rescued from a New York City mob by the narrator, ends up holding a City Hall press conference. And when she stepped before the cameras, it felt like a trial. But she smiled as the questions were called. What do you say to detractors who claim you're just some actor? She said, the question here is, do I believe in you? Ouch. Ouch, Ellis. <laughs> Man, brother, you'd do it. Well, that question comes at a poignant break. And I think that it was somewhere in my subconscious as I first sang the line about the woman in my song telling the narrator that she's going to miss him. I don't think I heard it when I wrote this song, but now I hear his voice in the back of my head singing harmony whenever I perform the song. The bridge needed a passionate expression of the joy inherent in the journey. The smell of the gardens on back streets in Savannah after a summer rain is an experience I will always remember. And so it was easy to bring up here. The couple makes love, and there's a serious moment afterward where the woman expresses her love for the narrator in such an earnest and expressive way, comparing the impact of their connection to the experience of epiphanies related to scripture, related to art, and simple acts of human kindness. One night in Savannah, we walked down streets that smelled of gardens. It was a paradise, and that night as we made love, she said, you always take me to places I remember from scripture, acts of kindness, and works of art. This part of the song has sometimes made me feel self-conscious for some reason. I mean, it's, it's such a raw moment, but also somewhat self-congratulatory on the part of the narrator, right? But when it's really lovemaking, when we connect on more than just an erotic level, we end up interweaving all our needs, not just physical, but far more holistically tying in our passions, releasing our self-doubt, and even expressing our deepest pain and grief. The experience can truly be an epiphany. So her confession kind of rattles the narrator. He's deeply moved, and he never, ever forgets it. But it also establishes the power of the connection the two have, and whatever reason she will be missing the narrator, it's not because she wants to leave him. So the song's last verse has the narrator on a Gulf Coast beach, watching the sun set over the water. He's alone but imagines that she's still with him, whispering in his ear, 
to enjoy the rest of the journey without focusing about how it might end, even if that journey has to be without her. I had intended to explain what had happened to the woman, and I think I probably wrote a few lines to that effect on the paper, but in the end, I disregarded them and kept the mystery of what might have happened to her. The way I see it is that some songs should strive to be as universal as possible. Hell, we all go on journeys. We all can imagine the muscle shell and the pirate game and the smell of gardens after rain and what it feels like to lose a loved one. The way I see it, if I'd had that woman die of a particular disease, some of us would reflect on the exact experience if we'd lost someone to that disease, and other listeners wouldn't connect, perhaps even be removed a step or two from the story because of the specific disease, or even that it was a disease. And so I figured I'd just have her disappear and have him grieving and let the listener imagine for themselves, from their own life experiences, what might have taken place. So you can find uh, Isn't It the Journey on any streaming service from my album Songs from the Surf Shack, which I released in 2005. Uh, those recordings, that whole record was done almost completely by myself in this little garden shed that was behind our home in Boyceville, just outside of Woodstock, New York. Uh, I wasn't working with other musicians at that time. I was in grad school and uh, I was jonesing to make a record and I just went in and played with some MIDI devices and samples and stuff. But what I'm about to play for you was recorded by Paul Antonell in the spring of 2023 at his Clubhouse Studios and mixed by Doug Ford uh, this past summer. It'll be released on October 6th, 2023, available on all streaming services and, of course, available earlier to our Patreon listeners. So here it is. Isn't it the journey? Mile 25 Highway 1 She turned off the radio station Smiled and took my hand She said Let's have a media free vacation I asked where we were headed now after the year that we'd been through she squeezed my hand she said I don't care just as long as I'm traveling with you Cause isn't it the journey? Isn't it the journey that Isn't it the journey That makes it all worthwhile Eight hundred miles down the coast to somewhere She sang me a song and I almost wept Something about turning around and growing up Moving on without taking a step 
by a lighthouse on the outer banks she found the perfect muscle shell held it to her eye as she played captain hook and then she told me she'd miss me I said, isn't it the journey? Isn't it the journey that Isn't it the journey Makes it all worthwhile One night in Savannah We walked down streets that smelled of gardens It was a paradise And that night as we made love She said you always take me to places I remember From scripture, acts of kindness and works of art I watched the sun sit down upon the gulf Fear she's standing somewhere near I try to keep her wisdom deep down inside Not let destinations interfere Cause isn't it the journey Isn't it the journey that Isn't it the journey That makes it all worthwhile Oh, isn't it that journey Oh, isn't it the journey that Makes it all worthwhile. My twenty five of Highway One. She turned off the radio station. Well, there you go. Another episode wrapping up. Thanks so much for listening to the Please Don't Call It Reese's Pieces podcast. Today's episode featured the song Isn't It the Journey, which appeared on my 2005 album Songs from the Surf Shack, and also appears on my 2023 solo retrospective album Six Strings and a Story. You'll be able to check that album out on any streaming service after October 6th, 2023, but if you're like me, you dig reading the liner notes on a CD and holding physical product. 
Once we reach that release date, you can head over to the record shop at reshadmusic.com and order a CD for your collection or a USB with all those liner notes and PDF format and all the kinds of media extras like videos packed in with the music files. If you're one of my Patreon subscribers, you can be sure you'll be getting early access to the album. And if you're not, well, why not head over there and become one? You get a ton of cool stuff for helping me continue to be a creative. Thanks for listening, folks. Don't forget to check out the playlist. You'll certainly find Alice Paul's song, An Angel in Manhattan. Hey, your support means everything. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on the next reel. Ciao. This has been a Shadville Music Production, produced by the Big Fish in the Library at Stressless Studios on a wing and a prayer. All songs by Reshad, except where stated. Our theme music comes from Reshad and the Conversations playing Reese's tune, No She Don't.